I want to share one other avenue of ministry that's taken place before we get in this morning's message. I'm going to introduce you to Abby Washnock. Where's Abby at? There she is. Come on, Abby. Um, Abby Washnock, some of you know her. Some of you, this may be the first time you're, you're meeting her. Abby has decided to go on a journey that she feels like God has taken her on. And so I said, Abby, I want to share this with the church. So Abby, how old are you? 15 years old. You're going to be a sophomore at... Lafayette High School, and so Abby's been going to our church for many years, and she's done CIY. Where are you planning to take a mission trip to? Poland. Going to Poland. Yes, that is coming soon. What date are you leaving on? Um, I meet the team on the 8th, but I leave for Poland on the 9th. So you meet the team next Saturday, leave next Sunday, and you'll be gone for how many days? Um, 10 days. We 10 get days. On the 18th. 10 days to Poland across the country. Your mom and dad going? No. Is your brother going? No. no, you said, no, he can't come. You know how to do that. Um, why Poland? So most people think, like, why not go to, like, a third world country? But in Europe, they have all of their physical needs. They don't realize that they need Jesus. So they're more spiritually drained because they don't need to hold on to something for their everyday living because they have, they're comfortable. They've got all their food, shelter, but they still need Jesus just as much as we do. Poland's very similar to America. A lot, uh, and we're getting closer and closer like, like Europe is, where we're going to you know, be pretty much a desolate country of spiritual matters. We keep going at the same rate that we are. And so um, how did you get involved with going to Poland, though? So I've kind of always been interested in the international mission trips, but at CIY Move of 2016, they played a video of their engage opportunities. So I decided to go to their, like, they call it an elective. So I decided to go to that kind of like meeting mm-hmm. and found out about it. And I really wanted to do it. So I went home and reach, researched all of it. And mom and dad jumped on board and said, let's do it. Well, sort of. Sort of. <laughs> <laughs> sort of. Mom and dad are behind this and they're excited for what you're doing. How much does this trip cost? $3,885. So nearly $4,000. So church, she has to go next Saturday. We need $3,000 offering right now. (laughs) Just kidding. How much have you raised so far? Um, I have all of it raised. I got it all a month in advance to the due date. She's raised all of her support already. Isn't that awesome? I think it's so exciting. Some months ago, we sat at our dining room table and talked about some ideas how to raise funds, and Abby just went after it, sending out letters, contacting people, and I get text messages either from her or mom and dad, and hey, it's, it's coming in, and, and God's hand is moving, and what a journey to raise that kind of fun, funds. CIY, for some of you who may not be familiar, it stands for Christ and Youth Conference, and we had a number of high schoolers and junior hires go, I think, all together, Lane, correct me, is it like 25 go this year? teenagers between junior high and high school kids go to CIY, our offerings that you give support kids going to CIY and helps cover some of that funding to make that possible. And what I think is really cool, that extension of ministry then is when uh, someone has that tug in their heart to say, hey, I want to go. I want to do something like this. And Abby's answered that, that call. Abby went on a mission trip with us when we went to Las Vegas to help plant the church in Vegas. And so God keeps pricking her heart and she keeps answering that call. And so we're really excited what she's doing. I told First Service this, and some of you know the CIY is where I was at when I was 18 years old and said, I think I should do ministry and didn't know what that meant. And now here I am 20 some years later doing ministry because of the ministry of CIY. And so I'm so excited that you're opening to that call. I'm going to ask mom and dad and brother coming up here, Greg and Carla and Zach, and just want to pray with them and for them. um, Because when you go on a trip like this, this is a together thing. 
this is an entire family thing. We kind of were joking about it a little bit. I know that mom's a little nervous, maybe a lot nervous. Dad always tries to act tough like he's not nervous, but we know Greg is. He actually admitted that first service. He said, yeah, I am a little bit nervous about it, sending my daughter, who's 15 years old, across the world. But she's going with a great group and a great organization. Zach's going, hallelujah, right? <laughs> he's not going to admit that, right? Um, but so let's just bow our heads and pray for them on this journey together. Father God, we just pray over the Washnock family. We thank you, Lord, that you... Uh, have touched the heart of Abby and that she is listening to your voice, listening to your call, and she said, I, I want to do this, and God, you have provided greatly for her. Thank you for Greg and Carla who have uh, instilled faith in their children, and then when their children want to be obedient to faith, they've said, yes, let's do it, and they want to keep helping them grow. Lord, go on a trip like this, and it can be somewhat nervous or a little bit scary. It can be a little bit worrisome, and so, Father, I pray that you remove any kind of fears that maybe mom and dad carry, or fears that, that Abby's carrying, Lord, would you please calm those fears? Lord, would you take away the worries? Remind them of the scripture that tells us that, Lord, you know the number of hairs in our head, and you know when a bird falls from the sky, and how much more you know what we need as our Heavenly Father. Father, keep that ever evident in their mind and their thoughts as they take this trip together. Lord, we pray for protection over Abby and the team as they go. Lord, would you guide them? Lord, help them. They may face some challenges along the way. Would you help them to overcome any challenge that they may come up, come up against? Father, we pray for their ministry as they're in Poland and as they go to this area that has, has their physical needs met. They have homes and jobs and economy and so forth, Lord, but spiritually they're bankrupt and they need to know who Jesus is. And Lord, I pray that these teenagers, as they go together as a group, will do a great job bringing the name of Jesus in whatever kind of ministry avenues they get involved in. Lord, we commit Abby and mom and dad and brother to, to you, Father. We commit them to you as they, as they do this trip together. As Abby goes, mom and dad sends. Lord, we as a church are kind of partially involved in sending just in the part of helping Abby get to CIY. Lord, together, Lord, we all send in prayer. And so, Lord, we commit Abby to you. And we uh, just ask for your hand to guide every step along the way. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you give them a hand and, and keep them in your prayers? Well, be sure to be praying for them this week and then the 10 days on their trip. It's going to be a phenomenal, phenomenal experience. Today we start a new series of messages where we hear from a missionary. Hear from the Apostle Paul who was a missionary who took three very distinct mission trips, and on those mission trips established churches and proclaimed the name of Jesus. Today we begin it in a book called Ephesians. It's a great book. Whenever you walk through a book of the Bible, though, I love to start out with a little bit of background. We've got to kind of get a little bit of the setting, some information. It helps us understand the book much better when we have some of the background information. If we don't have the background information, it's kind of like us jumping in a movie midway through and we're going, okay, what is going on? Why is all this taking place? And so let's just back up and do a little bit of history. Paul writes this letter to a group of people known as Ephesians, a group of Christians who live in Ephesus. He's in jail at the time. He's actually in a Roman prison. There's a few Christians from near Ephesus who were in Rome who were visiting Paul, and I guess he figures, you know, it's a good idea. While these people are here, maybe I can get these letters written, and I'll finish up these letters, because now I have somebody to carry them back to Ephesus. See, in that time, they didn't have text messages and social media and email. They didn't have postal service. 
And so they had to know somebody who they could say, hey, take this to this group of people or take this to my friend or take this to my relative. And so he writes some letters. And not only does he write the letter of Ephesians, he writes to the letter called Philippians and Colossians and to a wealthy man, uh, one simple letter in our Bible is called Philemon. So he writes all these letters, gives them to him, and they carry these letters. And as they go, then they deliver the letters back to these groups of people. I'm sure while Paul was held in prison, as he writes the letter to the people of Ephesus, he's reflecting on, on their relationship with the church that was located there. Paul had went there during his second missionary journey, but he didn't stay really long. And Ephesus, though, was a major important city in the Roman province of Asia. It had over 300,000 people, city the size of Lexington. It had a large outdoor theater seated 25,000 people. It's actually the original Rupp Arena with no roof on it. But really, I mean, they, they, had, they had big old stadiums before we even knew what a, a stadium was. Located on the edge of Great Harbor, it was a home of the goddess of Artemis, daughter of Zeus, sister of Apollo. The temple of Artemis took 220 years to build. It's quite a feat. It was the largest building of the Greek world. It's one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. The temple was the center of idolatrous worship. And the temple was also a place known for great wealth. The best paintings and the statues were kept there. The temple owned lands and it controlled fisheries. The priests were the bankers of these enormous revenues. And because of the enormous revenues, people throughout Asia stored their money at the temple for safekeeping. Ephesus was considered the banking center of Asia, and the temple of Artemis was to the ancient world what the Federal Reserve is to the U.S. today. It was a major area, major things they dealt with. It's been said that Ephesus was religiously like Rome, but commercially like New York City. I mean, it was really quite a growing city, but spiritually, it was empty. And before we jump into Ephesians, though, we must jump back to the book of Acts to see some history. So turn your Bibles with me to Acts chapter 19. This actually takes place during Paul's third missionary journey. During this journey, he was in Ephesus for nearly three years. So he's there working with Christians, establishing a church, and he's proclaiming the name of Jesus. And here's, here's what's kind of taking place in Acts 19. It says, God did extraordinary miracles through Paul, so that even handkerchiefs and aprons that, that, he had, t- that had touched him were taken to the sick, and their illnesses were cured, and their evil spirits left them. Now, I'm going to tell you, that was something special that Paul did in that time. Please don't bring your handkerchiefs to me. I don't need your germs. And I trust me, I can't touch them and make them do anything for any of your sick friends. Some Jews who went around driving out evil spirits tried to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who were demon-possessed. They would say, in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches, I command you to come out. Seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish chief priest, were doing this. One day the evil spirits answered them, Jesus I know, and Paul I know, but who are you? I mean, even the evil spirits are like, we know Jesus. We've heard of Paul, but, but who are you? Then the man who had the evil spirit jumped on them and overpowered them all. He gave them such a beating that they ran out of the house naked and bleeding. When this became known to the Jews and the Greeks living in Ephesus, they were all seized with fear, and the name of the Lord Jesus was held in high honor. Many of those who believed now came to openly confess what they had done. A number who had practiced sorcery brought their scrolls together and burned them publicly. When they calculated the value of the scrolls, the total came to... 50,000 drachmas. 
You say, how much is 50,000 drachma? It's a day's worth of wages, which depending on what kind of wages you made, it was somewhere today, American dollars, between a dollar to $100 a day. So $50,000 to $500,000, somewhere in that rate. In this way, the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. So they see the power of Jesus, that even the demons knew who he was, and Jesus' word starts to spread and multiply. Acts 19, we start to see that riots start taking place, starting because of the effect of Paul's ministry in Ephesus and all of Asia was having on the local trades in Ephesus. See, a trade that made replicas of the great temple of Artemis for their loyal followers to take home with them, put on their end tables or put on their coffee tables. Paul was telling the Ephesians that these man-made gods are not gods at all, and this caused many people to stop buying the idols. And so people were angry. They're like, wait a minute, you're messing with our pocketbooks. This is, this is part of our, our income, and you're telling people to quit buying this stuff, and they were quitting to buy it. Acts 20, Paul stayed there in Ephesus, ends with a dramatic scene on a beach as Paul sets out by ship for Jerusalem. Before he leaves, he calls the elders, the leaders of the church in Ephesus, to meet with him. He challenges them to do their job of keeping watch over the flock by God as overseers to do a great job of that. He tells them that dangers actually await him in Jerusalem and that he will probably never see them again. It was an emotional scene as the great apostle Paul says goodbye to those that he has loved and those that he has brought up in Christ. Very emotional because he's thinking, you won't see me again. And he's, I think he's also thinking, most likely, my life will come to an end. It'd be like a missionary who says, I'm going into an Islamic area right now that is closed to Christ, and you know if you go there, most likely you're losing your life. And that's what Paul thinks is going to happen. Paul's last minutes in Ephesus spent on his knees with these Ephesian elders, God's church, praying, weeping, and embracing each other. And it's hard for him to leave, but Paul knew he had to go. It's now 10 years later. Ten years later, that dramatic moment on the beach, and Paul's in this Roman prison writing to people that he knew, writing to people he had loved, writing to people he had a history with, people who were beginning to feel the growing flames of Roman persecution under Nero as Nero tries to squash out Christianity as he lets persecution rise as people are giving their lives for the name of Jesus, as businesses are being destroyed and homes are being destroyed because people who live for Jesus were persecuted so greatly. And Paul is writing writing this letter to them, even though they don't feel like it, and he's writing it and saying, you are rich in Christ Jesus. And I can imagine some of the people having the feelings like, Paul, we're walking through all this junk How can we possibly be rich in Christ Jesus? And he encourages them to both realize this and to use that wealth wisely. He begins this letter, as you flip back now to Ephesians chapter 1, he begins this letter with some very encouraging words. He calls the Christian saints. He says you're holy and sacred, set apart for godly's purposes, the faithful followers of Jesus Christ. So he comes out with all these terms of endearment, words of encouragement of who they are, that they're not just saints in name, but also in practice, that what he's heard about them, their testimony is spreading, and it's a good testimony. Paul wants them to know that if they are saints and faithful followers, then we have spiritual blessings that are endless. Grace, which is salvation and peace because of who we are, because we are in Christ. God has given us everything we need in heavenly realms. And so Paul's reminding them, listen, you may be losing lives, you may be losing your, your livelihood, you may be losing livestock, you may be under persecution, but you have everything you need because of who you are in Christ. And Paul's letting them know, enjoy these blessings live in these these blessings. And Paul opens this letter to his friends 
reminding them of their position, of their heritage, and of the family which they belong. This opening chapter reminds me kind of the movie Blindside. Who here has seen that movie, The Blindside? Most of you have probably seen that movie. This opening chapter reminds me of that movie. The movie's about a young man, true story, about a man by the name of Michael Orr. Michael was a first-round draft pick by the Baltimore Ravens. Michael Orr was born in Memphis, Tennessee. His dad was murdered, and his mom was a cocaine addict. He didn't have a permanent address until he was 16 years old. He went to 11 different schools within nine years. At the age of 16, Michael was staying with a friend whose son was going to Briarcrest Christian in Memphis, Tennessee. The friend decided Michael should go as well, but Michael didn't belong there, and he surely couldn't afford to go to Briarcrest Christian. And through a turn of events, Leanne and Sean Tui saw him due to the fact that their daughter went there at school on Thanksgiving break, and there is Michael Orr at the gym because he was trying to find a place that was open, and the gym wasn't open because it was closed over break, trying to find a place that he could stay warm at. They end up taking him in their home. He lived there for most of his high school career. And the Tuohys, they own about 60 Taco Bell franchises. One day, they went into Michael's room and found a bunch of food that he had stashed away and stored. And you can understand that for a young man who had been homeless and dad is passed and mom is addicted to drugs to go, if I can get some food, I'm going to store it away because I don't know when time will get thin. And so you can understand that. So that would be a natural thing. They told him he can go to any one of their restaurants and get something to eat anytime he wanted. They said, our restaurants are your restaurants. Our house is your house. Our dining room table is your dining room table. Our shower is your shower. And they opened up their lives to him and mentored him and guided him and helped him on a journey of life. That story relates to us because isn't that what God does for us? This is what Paul brings forward in the book of Ephesians. He says, I want you to hear this message. He gives us this open door policy that my house is your house. My dining room table is your dining room table. My family is your family. In good times and bad, you're part of a great family if you're in Christ. And God offers us everything in his store, so to speak. He gives us everything we need because he has adopted us as his own. He chooses us to be in his family. His son Jesus earned the right for us. Some of you know what adoption's like. Some of you in this room understand what that means to be without a home, to maybe be in a shelter or to be homeless and someone open your door because some of you in this room were adopted and some loving family said, my home is your home. My table is your table. My shower is your shower. My food is your food. Some of you understand what adoption is like because you've opened your home to others. You've opened your home up and you said, I'm going to let a child come to my home and you've shared what you have. You know what it's like. Listen to how Paul describes the adopted children in Ephesians 1 verse 4. He says, For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. You got to read that passage and you must see what a blessing is there. I mean, what a blessing. God has chosen us. And Paul writes these words to the Christian church, to the Christians in Ephesus, but they apply to us even in the year 2017. He has chosen us for two wonderful reasons. This is a blessing. One is that he wants us. 
I want you to hear that today, church. No matter what you're walking through, job challenge, marriage challenge, health challenge, down and out challenges, being depressed, addiction, whatever you're walking through, I want you to hear the words that God wants you. And Paul is reminding the church in Ephesus, you're going through a hard time. God still wants you. Secondly, he's reminding them, listen, he doesn't force anyone to become part of his family. He doesn't force you to be in his family, but he opens up the opportunity. We weren't forced onto him. He wants us. It's kind of like this. Brianna and I take our marriage vows very seriously. But what would it be like if Brianna says, I I don't want you. I I don't need you. But in spite of the fact of that, she says, I'll stay married because we have a vow, because we, we made a commitment. I don't have any feelings and I don't have any emotions. There's no connection. There's no desire on my part to be in the marriage, but I made the commitment. If she was there merely because of vows, we'd still be married, but it'd be a horrible marriage. It'd be empty. There would be no love. There would be no joy. There would be no blessing. But I'm happily married, be 23 years in August, and enjoy my wife and our life together because for some reason, only known to her and God, she still wants me. The truth of the matter is this. What you say? Amen. There you go. She does. And the truth of the matter is this. Even when we don't understand it, even when we don't feel like we're wanted, God still wants you. Still wants you. To to have a God that doesn't really need us, so to speak, but still wants you. To have a God that doesn't need us, but still provides for you. To have a God that doesn't need us, but still wants to protect you. To have a God that doesn't need us, but wants to fellowship with you, to guide you. That's a blessing. And Paul says, I don't want you to miss this, church. I, I don't want you to miss this, that you are chosen by God. By God, he has feelings and emotions and a, and a love for you that is so deep that it's impossible for us to totally comprehend. Now, now there's part of this passage that is oftentimes misunderstood. And, and it centers around the misinterpretation of, of words like chosen and predestined. And I must clarify them a little bit as we go on this journey through Ephesians. So we're talking kind of from the same page, so to speak. When you interpret Scripture, you have to ask the questions of who and what and when and where questions, and you must take the whole of Scripture to understand a passage like this. Out of this passage, there are some who say God chose and predestined our eternity and our lives, and we have no free will or no choice. And my simple response to that is if that's the case, then why do we do this? Why do we go through this rigmarole and why do we tell people to go share your faith because if God's predestined all of it then there's no sense in us trying to live out our faith really because God has it all under control but who's Paul talking to in this passage Paul's actually talking to the church those who have accepted salvation what is he saying he says God chose us before the creation in other words he focused on us as his long term of love what he chose us to do to be holy which means to be set apart. He chose us to be blameless, which is without blemish. Predestined means set out boundaries in advance. In other words, it means he had a plan. What are the boundaries? To be adopted as his son through Jesus Christ. That's the purpose and his will, and it brings him pleasure when we accept that purpose and his will. Jump to verse 11 for a second. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. You see what it says? It says he predestined the plan but not the man. He put the plan together 
And then he gives us a chance to say, do you want to choose me? I've already chosen you. According to Romans 8, the plan is to become like his son. Chosen and predestined are two misunderstood words that have taken the focus away from the fact that God chose through the adoption of Jesus' sacrifice, you and me. It was a choice. God wants people to be saved. 2 Peter 3.9 says, The Lord is not slow in keeping His promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. That's a choice on our part, for us to come to repentance. It's not merely that God was willing to save us, It's the fact that he delighted to do it. How richly we are blessed by a God who wants us. And Paul explains that in the rest of the passage. In verse 7 he says, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. He made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. In Him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of Him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of His will, in order that we who were the first to put our hope in Christ might be for the praise of His glory. That word redemption, that resonated with Greeks and Romans and Jews. It was a word that meant ultimate freedom because there was a price paid for it. There were six million slaves in the Roman Empire. And one of the only ways to escape slavery was for someone to pay your ransom because adoption has a cost. Someone had to pay the price. And today things are not different. Adoption costs a lot of money. It can cost upwards of $40,000 to adopt a child. The average across the United States right now is $28,000. To include someone in your family not only takes a desire, but it requires a payment. Some in this room have wrestled through that, and you've opened your home, and you even paid the price. There's others who've said, I'd love to open my home, but that price, I don't know how I can pay that payment. God said, I love you so much, I will pay the price. Our self-incurred debt was slavery to sin, And it would have cost a life. And therefore, God paid for that and blessed us through the ransom of His Son's blood. Now, verse 9 talks about the mystery. How could someone ever escape their debt, but God revealed the mystery by sacrificing His Son? There's two facts about that mystery. The plan was set in place in the beginning. There was no plan B. There wasn't, if this doesn't work for Jesus, with Jesus, I have another idea. Go back to the garden. Back to Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve had just sinned. God's handing down his punishment and says, you're going to have to toil. You're going to have to work the land. The the, the dirt's going to be hard. It's going to be clay-filled. You're going to have pain in childbirth. You're you're going to die. And then you read in Genesis 3.22 something that kind of just slips right on by us many times when we read it. Genesis 3.22, And the Lord God said, The man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. What in that verse tells us that God had this ransom, this purpose already in motion and planned out? It's one simple two-letter word. It's the word us. Look at the text. The man has now become like one of us. Who's the us in the passage? 
The us is God and Jesus and Holy Spirit that were there in the beginning. John 1.1 1, 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was, he was with God in the beginning. This tells us that Jesus was there in the beginning. Colossians 1 says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by Him all things were created, things in heaven and earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by Him and for Him. He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. He was there, and God's plan was to bail us out. He was prepared to pay the ransom for you, and He was happy to do it. Fact number two about this mystery is the ransom was for total freedom. Here's, here's what I mean about total freedom. It's explained in 2 Corinthians 5, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive what is due him for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. This verse says we'll all stand before the judgment seat of God. We all have to give our account for our deeds, what's done in the body, whether good or bad. All of us judge for our sins, and the verdict would be what? Guilty. The verdict's going to be guilty. Now, what does God do? Does he pardon us? you got to stop and think about the word pardon. It, it is the act by an empowered authority of reversing a sentence rendered under a verdict of guilty. That's what we hear our presidents do and are ending their term. Well, let's pardon some people who committed some crimes, and we'll pardon a whole bunch of different people. But that's not what God does. That would mean we're still guilty, yet we've been set free. You're not totally free because you're still carrying that baggage of the knowledge of the guilt that you have. God doesn't pardon us. He actually judges us innocent. Judges us innocent. Romans 13, 4 says we are clothed with Christ. 2 Corinthians 5, 21 says God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. We are totally free through the blood of Jesus because we are innocent when we cover ourselves with the grace that he lavishes on us because he wants us as sons and daughters. And Paul says, church, don't forget this. Church, you're under persecution. Church, you're under false accusation. Church, you're under difficult times. You're going through trials. You're going through difficulties. And apply it today. Maybe the marriage is going through a tough spot right now. Maybe you've walked through divorce already. Maybe you're dealing with a failed business. Maybe things are just tough. Maybe you're walking through some health challenges. Maybe you're dealing with some issues of child rearing that have just got you down. Maybe you're dealing with some mental health issues of depression or feeling just down and out. Maybe life has just been tough lately. Maybe it just feels like you're getting one strike after another strike after another strike after another strike. One bad thing after another bad thing after another bad thing. That's what they were walking through. And Paul says, hey, listen, don't forget who you are in Christ. You are adopted into a great family. And your sins are gone. They've been paid for. They've been paid for. Not just not guilty. They're, they're gone. See, through my years of ministry, I've been around families who have adopted it's really interesting because they end up having two parties a year for that child. One party is their birthday as they celebrate the birthday. The other party is what they call Gotcha Day. You guys heard of Gotcha Day before? That's when they brought that child home into their home and they said, now you are one of ours. I want to tell you, God has a Gotcha Day for you if you're in Christ. The day when you said, I choose you too, God. The day when you said, I accept the, the grace, the mercy, the forgiveness, I accept the death, the burial, and resurrection of Jesus, became your gotcha day. And God will never forget that gotcha day. 
My son reminds me, Luke, every year, Dad, it's my spiritual birthday. Never lets me forget when that day comes. Every Easter on Good Friday, because that was his gotcha day. Do you have a gotcha day? Do you have a time in your life when you know, I chose him. I, I, I made that choice to receive that grace and that forgiveness and that mercy that is offered. I, I accepted the fact that God chose me and I even chose him. So how do I know if I did that? Well, Scripture is very clear. It tells us that you need to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. You need to confess that He's your Savior and confess you repent of your sin and be baptized. When we've done that, we've now accepted Him and we've said, you know what? I now sit at your table. We now say, Lord, your home is my home. We now have opened up that gift and said, what you give, I, I receive. Do you know your gotcha day? Today could be your gotcha day. Today could be a day of salvation for you. Say, you know what? I really believe that the Lord has chosen me. I really believe he had this plan played out, and now it's my choice to choose him. Again, our God gives us free will. And some of us wrestle along, and we walk through life, and we just say, well, I'll wait someday. Uh, Maybe I'll get there. I want to encourage you, don't wait. Why not make today your gotcha day? And if you're in Christ today, hold on to that truth. Let these be encouraging words. No matter what you're walking through and what you're going through, you are part of the greatest family ever. You're part of the family of God. Bow your heads with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for these words that Paul has penned, that he has has written by the power of your Spirit, sends it off to this great church in Ephesus, And Lord, those words today guide your church in 2017. Lord, may we receive these words as words of encouragement of who we are in Christ, that we are rich in Christ, that we are are covered and clothed, that we are one of yours. We are adopted into your family. What a great family that is. And Lord, maybe for the person that's in here that hasn't accepted Jesus as Savior yet, maybe today could be their gotcha day.